Well, hello. hello. We have a special treat this morning. Uh, this is Luke Ree and Laura Ree, his wife. Just so you know, I'll quickly introduce him because I don't want to eat into his time. Uh, Laura is the daughter of the teaching pastor at Foothill Bible Church, David Forsythe. So uh, you married well. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Luke came to uh, Saving Faith in Christ in 2006. If I mess any of this up, you go ahead and just... And shortly before he entered into college... And God began to work on his heart, started a college campus ministry there with some friends, and then uh, graduating from there, he was hungry for more, and so he went and attended seminary, I think in 2010, yeah, somewhere like there, began attending uh, the Master Seminary, also a graduate here, Thomas Kovacs, a graduate from the Master Seminary, and they teach men, uh, to they prepare them for full-time ministry, primarily that's what they do. And he graduated from there in 2015. He currently attends Foothill Bible Church, where he leads in the college ministry there. And he is, uh, I don't remember the place where you currently work. You can tell if you, if you want to, but he's currently looking to pursue full-time ministry. And so we're excited about that. He loves the Lord God. He loves God's people. And he wants to make Christ known and help people know him better. So this morning, uh, we invited him to come here, get a little more ministry experience and to share with us from God's word this morning, and I, and I trust and know you will be blessed. So welcome, Luke. Well, good morning, good morning. You know, it's an absolute privilege and joy for me to be here. Um, I was telling some of the people before service that when Foothill Bible Church first planted Summit, um, I was helping out kind of every Sunday to come to the city of Fontana, knock on the doors, leave flyers, talk to people. So you guys out here, some of you might recognize me. So if you do, come say hello to me. I probably won't recognize you. Um, and my wife also, uh, when we were planning the church here, she was on phone duty. So I actually met Ray before service, and he was saying that he heard about the church through the, the phone calls that we were doing. So, um, hey, you, know, you never know. You, you might have talked to my wife and to me. Um, so if you, if you do remember us, come say hi. If you don't, still come say hi to us. Um, <laughs> So it's, it's, it's just a, such a privilege and a joy for me to be here, to, to see what God has done in this congregation um, in the last several years, and uh, to come here as a servant of the Word of God, to bring the Word of God to you. Um, anyway, so, so the, the, the text that we're going to be looking at today is a precious text. It's a precious text to myself, to my soul, and I trust that it will be a joy and a treasure to you. For in this text... Uh, we read of a sinful woman weighed down by her shame who seeks the Savior. She is desperate to find forgiveness. She is desperate to hear from Christ that her sins have been pardoned. And Christ speaks to her the words that she longs to hear and her iniquity, the shame of her sin, is lifted. I love this text because it reminds me of my Savior's great love for me. And it reminds me of my Savior's great love for you who have believed in Christ Jesus. So with that, please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And we'll read. <clears throat> One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this this amazing event happens during Jesus' great Galilean ministry towards the beginning of his ministry. Jesus has been casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, but but not only was he cleaning people and, and healing people of their physical infirmities, he was also healing them of their spiritual infirmity. You see, he was calling sinners to repentance. It was during this great Galilean ministry that Levi Matthew, the tax collector, himself was saved. Matthew called a a great banquet with his friends, the tax collectors and the sinners, and and Jesus dined with them, dining with them to, to call them to repentance and faith. And they were saved. And word about him spread all over the area of Galilee. Now the question on everyone's mind in this area was, who is Jesus. The demons that Jesus was casting out were declaring that he is the Son of God. The common people were saying that he is a prophet. The self-righteous, even the Pharisees, were saying that this is a glutton and a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus must have had some kind of reputation in that time period to, to be called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
there were a few who believed in him as the saving son of David. There was a great difference of opinion, as you can see, in the area of Galilee regarding who Jesus was. And what Luke does in this story before us today is he's going to, to contrast the great difference of heart between the Pharisees and the sinners who were being saved. And he's going to contrast that uh, difference of heart in um, the great difference between Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman. And we find in this story three contrasts before us. We find the contrast in attitude, the contrast in love, and the contrast in belief. The first contrast we see from verses 36 to 39 is the contrast in attitude. Notice, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, now why did the Pharisee ask Jesus to, to dine with him? The Pharisees were already publicly criticizing Jesus. I think the Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him so that the Pharisee himself can examine who this, who this person is that everyone is talking about. Everyone's saying, everyone is saying that he's a prophet, and the Pharisee himself wants to see who Jesus is. But an, an unexpected interruption arrives in the Pharisee's, Pharisee's examination of Jesus. For you see, this woman will come to this meal and put the Pharisee himself on the test. These, these meals would have been open to the public so that anyone could come and, and meet and hear the teacher and um, the Pharisee would have had guests here and, and even the woman coming to the, to the meal to, to wash Jesus' feet indicates that she felt free to come and it was an open meal for people um, to hear from Jesus, to hear from the guest. And you notice that Jesus comes and he takes his place at the table and, and the way that these meals were arranged was that the table would be in the middle you would have cushions, and, and the, the people that were eating would recline on the cushions with their, their head and their face, uh, or in their hands, facing the table, and their feet away, facing away from the table. And you notice in verse 37, Luke writes, And behold, Luke wants us to pay special attention. He wants us to take notice what is about to happen. He writes that a woman of the city who was a sinner. And this woman was from the city, and, and the cities back then were, in many ways, no different from the cities today. They, they were the places that, that bred sin. They were the places that had secret places of sin. She was a sinner, likely indicating that she was a prostitute. And notice that she, she learned that Jesus was, was reclining at table in the Pharisees' How? So, so she knew who Jesus was. She heard of his ministry. She likely even heard Jesus himself. She probably had friends who were impacted by his message and, and came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And Jesus' message of forgiveness to tax collectors and sinners such as herself sparked something within her heart. He dined with people like her. He didn't treat people like her, like, like someone who should be cast off from society. And at some point, as we'll see in this passage, at some point, she herself comes to believe. But she has not yet come out of the shadows 
to meet Jesus. And she is desperate to do so. You see, her, her conscience is still plagued by, by the weight and the guilt and the shame of her sin. She must find the assurance of forgiveness. She must find Jesus. So she comes out of the shadows to meet Jesus. And I would ask you today, are you one of those people that have come to to worship with God's people, to perhaps even hear from God's word, to hear what God has done for a sinner like you? Do you feel the, the weight and the shame of sin? I know that I did. And I met Jesus. And I I would ask you to to listen, to pay special attention to this text and and hear what Jesus does to this woman. And you notice that, that this woman heard that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. And this woman did not care that Jesus was at a Pharisee's house. You see, at this Pharisee's house, she would have been unwelcome, unclean, defiling to the meal. But she doesn't care, for she wants to meet Jesus. She is desperate. She brings with her an an alabaster flask of ointment. And uh, in Mark 14, 5, a similar uh, story occurs. And um, it's the same phrase, the alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. It would have been equivalent to about 300 denarii. 300 denarii equals 300 days wages. So just think about maybe a year's wages, perhaps. Very expensive ointment. And she would have brought it to, to give as a gift to Jesus, to anoint him. And in verse 38, she comes to the meeting, she comes to the meal, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she came intending to anoint Jesus, likely his head, but arriving, she feels unworthy. And she, instead of anointing his head, comes to his feet. She is too filled with shame and guilt to approach him, to speak with him. And she stays at his feet. And and the amazing thing about this account is that this woman Never, never speaks. Not a single word is heard from her. She's overcome with her emotion, her grief, and her shame, and she begins to weep. And, and the guilt of her sin that had, that had built up within her, in the very deepest recesses of her soul, began to show. And, and now the, the dams of her heart are broken open. Her soul is laid bare. And her eyes let loose what she feels in her soul. Martin Luther calls this kind of weeping heart water. For the water gives expression to what we feel in the heart. Again, notice that she is silent. She has no words. She can't speak. Overcome with her emotion, she is silent. And she simply weeps. Charles Spurgeon, writing about this this weeping without any speaking, he writes this. Is it not sweet to believe that our tears are understood 
even when words fail? Let us learn to think of of tears as liquid prayers and of weeping as a constant dropping of persistent intercession which will wear its way right surely into the very heart of mercy despite the stony difficulties which obstruct the way. My God, I will weep when I cannot plead for you hear the voice of my weeping. And you notice that she not only weeps, but as her tears fall, she, she wets Jesus' feet with her tears. And she, she wipes them with the hair of her head, and, and she kisses his feet and anoints them with ointment. She's just overcome with emotion, and in, in an overwhelming show of devotion to Jesus, she, she accomplishes this great act of gratitude towards him. Now, now, this act would have been appalling to Jewish sensibilities. For women did not unbind their hair back in that time, and, and to do this would have been the equivalent of nakedness and shame. But she doesn't care about the social customs of that day. She kisses his feet and, and anoints them with ointment, and it's just escalating the level of her devotion to Jesus. And she does what she now planned to do. She anoints his feet with ointment. She probably planned to anoint his hair, but she anoints his feet. And I I read this account, and, and I just think, Lord, let me have this same brokenness and this same heart that this woman had on that day. Sometimes we can think that, that this attitude is just for new believers, right? This attitude is just for, just for people who are, are being saved in the moment of conversion. But no, this attitude is for us as well, no matter how long we have believed. Let us never forget who we are apart from Christ Jesus. Now contrast her, her attitude, this woman's attitude, with that of the Pharisee. In verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him said, saw this, he said to himself, and, and notice this is not something that he's saying publicly and loudly, but this is something that's almost within himself. He's saying, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. This Pharisee is repulsed. He is repulsed not only at this woman, but also at Jesus' treatment of this woman. And it leads him to this conclusion. A prophet would have known who and what sort of woman this, this person was who touched him. For she was a sinner. A prophet would have not allowed her to touch him because she would have defiled him. Therefore, Jesus must not be a prophet That is his attitude, is characterized by by contempt, disdain, arrogance, self-righteousness. And contrast that attitude with the woman who was humbled and and broken and contrite of heart and, and devoted to Jesus. So in this first point, in verses 36 to 39, we see the contrast of attitude and and this the contrast is just going to continue to escalate in this passage. So not only do we see the contrast of attitude in verses 40 to 44, we see, uh, verses 40 to 43, we see the contrast of love. 
And Jesus, answering him, said to him, and, and notice that Jesus answers him. He, he responds to, to Simon's grumbling, demonstrating that Jesus himself is a prophet. Jesus knew what Simon said, even though Simon said this to himself. And Jesus, answering him, said to him, Simon, I, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And you could just hear Simon's facade of respect. Now say it, teacher, even though internally I don't believe that you're a teacher. Say it, teacher. And Jesus responds, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more. Now, now Jesus tells this parable, this story, to put his finger precisely on the issue of Simon's heart. The meaning of the parable is very simple. One debtor owed the money lender 500 denarii. 500 denarii is 500 days of labor. If in today's wages, if you get, if you get paid about $100 a day, it's $50,000. The second debtor owed 50 denarii, 50 days of labor, $100 a day, $5,000. So there's quite a significant difference in, in the amount that these two debtors owe. Now this moneylender knows that these two people cannot repay him. And what does the moneylender do? He canceled the debt of both. And, and the word behind this is that he showed grace to them. He, he pardoned them. He completely wiped out their, their, their debt against him. And this would have been unparalleled, unheard of. Now, could you, men, I would just ask you, could you imagine thinking about taking a loan out in your house or, or for a house or a car, and, and you hear that a moneylender is just out there canceling the debts of people? I would find that moneylender, wouldn't you? Yeah? And, and, and for a moneylender to do this, it would have just been unheard of. It would have led to the, uh, the demise of his of his trade, and, and I think Jesus' point is not really to tell a, um, a story that was so true to life, but, but to tell the story for effect, right? And he asks Simon, now, now which of them will love him more? And, and it's such a, a simple question, such a question with a straightforward answer, and Simon knows this, and he answers, you know, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt, and Simon is like kind of twisted here, like begrudgingly answering Jesus' question. I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have answered rightly. You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman in verse 44, he said to Simon, do you see this woman, do you really see her? Now this would have been kind of an insulting question to Simon because this woman is right there for, for everyone to see. But what Jesus is asking Simon is, Simon, do you really see her? Do you comprehend and understand what she has done? Do you understand that this woman, this sinner, could be saved, forgiven, transformed, and cleansed, no matter what she has done? Do you understand 
that this woman has washed my feet as an act of worship. Do you really see her? And Jesus here is going to put the hammer to the nail, as it were, of Simon's heart and and indict him. And for Jesus to do this to a Pharisee, a respected person in the Jewish culture, would have been very humiliating and humbling. But Jesus, again, cares not for the customs of that day. And he says this. He cares not for the unbiblical customs of that day. And he says this to Simon. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. This this water should have been provided to me as a basic act of, of hospitality. You gave me no water for my feet, but this woman has wet my feet with her tears and and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss as as the guest to your house. But since I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, and you didn't even give me the, the plentiful, cheap olive oil that would have been commonplace at that time. But she has anointed my feet with this costly ointment. This woman has done exactly what you should have done as the host of this meal. And not only has she done exactly what you should have done, she has far surpassed what you should have done. This woman, whom the Pharisees so despised, whom the Pharisees so regarded with disdain, actually excelled the Pharisee in character. That is laying the hammer to the nail of the Pharisee's heart. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I think the the better translation here is not that her her sins which are many are forgiven, but have been forgiven. Um, And when he says to her, your sins are forgiven, the better translation there is your sins have been forgiven, indicating that the woman, before she comes to Jesus at some point, did actually believe in Jesus. So she doesn't get saved as a result of this act of devotion. She is saved because of her faith, which she places in Jesus prior to this encounter. But Jesus tells Simon... Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many. And, and remember, Simon was saying, if, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this was, for her sins are many, right? And Jesus says, yes, Simon, I do know that her sins are many. I do know what kind of woman this is. I am a prophet. I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And and she knows that she has many sins, that her sins rise to the heavens, as it were, are insurmountable in her own strength. Her sins are many, and she knows that Christ has forgiven her of 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 many sins. And because she has been forgiven of much, she loves much. She loves much because she she knows how great a debt God has canceled. But he who is forgiven little 
loves little. And, and, and Jesus is saying, Simon, you think your sins are, are so little, so inconsequential even, compared to this woman. In fact, you think you are righteous, that you have no need of a Savior. You do not need me. Therefore, your sins remain unforgiven. And you see the, the contrast of love here. He who is forgiven much will love much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And, and beloved, we do, not have, we do not have to have lived the life of this woman to know that we have been forgiven much. It, it doesn't matter if you were saved at a very young age and, and God has been faithful you, to you to preserve you from, from your sins, from the, um, from the full expression of your sins. For you and I, apart from God's grace, in and of ourselves, are exactly like this woman. We have only to, to draw near to God and have the, the shining brilliance of His holiness, His purity, expose the sin of our hearts. To know that were it not for the grace of God, so would we be like this woman. I would urge you, constantly remind yourself of how much you have been forgiven so that your love for Christ, your love for the Savior would increase all the more. In verse 48, Simon turns to her and he says, or Jesus turns to her and he says, your sins have been forgiven. And from this point on in this story, Jesus will not address the Pharisees any longer, for his direction, his attention, will be solely to the woman. And again, the, the verb then tense indicates that your sins have been and remain forgiven. They have been forgiven in the past, they remain, they remain forgiven now, and they will be for, forgiven in eternity future. And, and the guilt and the shame of her sin that plagued her should plague her no longer because Jesus says to her, your sins have been forgiven. And what a word from Jesus. What a, what a compassionate word from Jesus. Could you imagine, place yourself in the woman's shoes, having lived your life in sin, engulfed in transgression, feeling the weight and the burden of your own shame, and for Jesus to, to say to you personally, your sins have been forgiven. What a comfort, what a consolation. And in this, in this public statement, Jesus publicly restores this woman, this sinful woman, and, and restores her to society. As a prostitute, she would have been cast away from society. But Jesus publicly saying that she has been forgiven restores her to society. He rehabilitates her. The people of this area must no longer regard her or refer to her as the sinner. What grace. What grace. And in this, Jesus shows that he is not only a prophet, he knows who this woman is, right? He is a prophet. But not only is he a prophet, but he is God himself. For he can forgive. Sins. 
And it is this point that shows the, the final contrast between the Pharisees and between the woman, between the, the self-righteous people that were at the meal and between this woman. And we arrive at our final contrast, which is the contrast of belief. Jesus declares that her sins have been forgiven, demonstrating that he himself is God. And the Pharisee, the Pharisees pick up on this. And in verse 49 to verse 50, we see the contrast of belief. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who, who is this? Who is this who, who can even forgive sins? Right? They understand rightly that, that only God can forgive sins. But they do not understand, they do not believe that Jesus himself is God. They believe him to be a mere man. But he is not just a mere man. He is God in the flesh. And he can speak to a sinful woman that your sins have been forgiven. These Pharisees think he is a blasphemer. Someone who is self-deluded. And notice the contrast in belief. And Jesus, completely ignoring their claims, completely ignoring their their grumbling of heart, continues to address the woman. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. And you you see the the Pharisees disbelieved. They disbelieved that this, this man was really God. But Jesus says to the woman, You have faith, and it is your faith that has saved you. You believe that I am the God-man, the Messiah, who can impart forgiveness of sins. Therefore, you are forgiven, justified, declared righteous, made a possession of the Most High by faith. This woman's faith saved her from destruction, from eternal damnation while the unbelief of the Pharisees consigned them to their ultimate and eternal and everlasting destruction. Your faith has saved you. Fear no longer the wrath of God, for you are saved. And notice these final three words, beautiful words, that Jesus speaks to this woman. Go, in peace. What precious words. What precious words to, to send the woman with. Depart in, in lasting peace. Not just temporary peace, but, but eternal peace. You are at peace with God and with me. And peace speaks of the, the experience in the soul as a result of a right and restored relationship with God. And if you do not know God, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do not know this peace. You do not know the peace that comes as a result of knowing that your sins have been forgiven, that you are justified, declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. You know no such peace, and your heart is at turmoil within you. And you might put on an externally tranquil appearance, but I know 
that you experience no such internal peace. For only those who humble themselves like this woman and come in this act of devotion and faith to Jesus can hear these words, go in peace. So Jesus tells this woman, and I believe even to us as well, may you, ex- may you experience this peace in your soul and in your life. And I bet that woman never forgot those words for as long as she lived. When she was tempted to despair of, of her past, and, and believe me, I know what it's like to, to live with memory of sin. It can weigh you down, can it? It can can remind you of the things that you don't want to be reminded of. But I bet, as the woman was reminded of her former life of sin, she remembered Jesus' words, go in peace. For for those of you here today who believe in Jesus, I would ask you, you, do you find your love for Christ lacking this morning? This passage gives us the key to renewing our love for our Savior. Remember your sin. Remember who you were before Jesus Christ came and found you. Recall how you were a wandering sheep, a slave to sin, rebelling against God and and wanting nothing to do with Him. Remember that Jesus, the seeking shepherd, came and found you, the wandering sheep. He brought you back on his shoulders to the fold of God. Remember that Jesus, this this shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep. And he rose again that you might be forgiven and justified. He is now daily making intercession for you, pleading with the Father on your behalf. And he is now preparing a place for you to receive you to himself. He's preparing an eternal inheritance for those who know him. Remember, believer, his great love for you, the sinner. And as you recall to mind our Savior's love, then you will grow in your love for him. Now, for those of you who do not believe, there may may be some of you here, like the woman in this story, who have lived your life engulfed in sin, trapped in iniquity, enslaved to transgression. You feel the sharp pangs of guilt within you, and you cannot set yourself free, no matter how hard you try. I would urge you, come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Tell him what you have done. Tell him that you cannot save yourself, that you need him to set you free. Ask him to forgive you, to pardon you, to cancel the record of your transgressions, that like the woman, he may tell you, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you come to this Jesus, he will not turn you away. He will save you. As surely as he did not turn away this sinful woman, he will not cast you aside. But you must come to him. You must come to him. In closing, I I end with these words of of Jonathan Edwards. Um, 
a girl by the name of Deborah Hathaway, who was 18 years old, recently converted, wrote to Jonathan Edwards, asking him for spiritual advice for a recent convert. And Jonathan Edwards writes this. Though God has forgiven and forgotten your past sins, yet do not forget them yourself. Often remember what a wretched bond slave you were in the land of Egypt. Be always greatly abased for your remaining sin and never think that you lie low enough for it. But yet do not be at all discouraged or disheartened by it. For though we are exceedingly sinful, yet we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the preciousness of whose blood and the merit of whose righteousness and the greatness of whose love and faithfulness does infinitely overtop the highest mountain of our sins. Brothers and sisters, let us love our Savior who has forgiven us of so many sins. Let's pray. Father, we read this text and we are just amazed. We are amazed and humbled at your great love to us sinners. While we were still rebelling against you, Father, you sent your Son to be our Savior. Father, if our, if our love is weak this morning, and Father, how prone our hearts are to, to coldness of heart, I pray that you would melt our hearts with our Savior's love. If there are those here who do not know the Savior, may they cry out to him to save them. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.